Chapter 1, the old sea dog at the Admiral Benbow Inn. Squire Trelawney, Dr. Livesley, and the rest of these gentlemen, having asked me to write down the whole particulars about Treasure Island, from the beginning to the end, keeping nothing back but the bearings of the island, and that only because there is still treasure yet not lifted. So I take up my pen and go back to the time when my father kept the Admiral Benbow Inn and the old seaman with the saber-cut face first took up his lodging under our roof. I remember him as if it were yesterday as he came plodding to the inn door, a tall, strong, heavy man, his terry pigtail falling over the shoulder of his soiled blue coat, his hands ragged and scarred with black broken nails and the saber cut across one cheek, a dirty, livid white. I remember him looking round the cover and whistling to himself as he did so, and then breaking out in that old sea song that he sang so often afterwards. Fifteen men on a dead man's chest. Yo-ho-ho and a bottle of rum. Dude, seafaring adventures make some of the best stories in classic literature, don't they? I mean, anyone other than me, like, love Treasure Island when you read it growing up? It just, uh, it just takes me back even reading those words from Robert Louis Stevenson or, or Gulliver's Travels or, you know, maybe for you it's more modern cinema like The Pirates of the Caribbean, one, two, three, four, or five, or Tom Hanks in Castaway, or maybe if you're a little more mature in age, you recall that 1997 smash hit, The Titanic. Each of these seafaring stories has a maritime metaphor that we'll look at today. And it's simply this, that life is a voyage, and there are some days where there are calm seas and peaceful skies, but there are other times where the storms rage and ships sink. And the story that we're left with is hold on. No matter what happens, don't give up hope because your heart will go on. See what I did there? See, shipwrecks make great fiction, don't they? but they make gut-wrenching nonfiction. Put differently, it's an adventure when we read about someone else's story, but it's devastating when that shipwreck hits too close to home. Case in point, Horatio Spafford. You may have heard his story before. Horatio was a successful businessman who lost a fortune in the Chicago fire of 1871 and around that same time sustained the tragic loss of his youngest son. And knowing he and his family needed a vacation to recover, he decided to send his wife and four daughters across the Atlantic back to England and he himself stayed behind to, to finish a few matters only to find out that on the voyage, his wife and children, there was a, a tragic ship collision. Their ship sunk. 200 people lost their lives on that voyage, including Horatio's four daughters. His wife survived. She made it to England and sent a telegram that simply said, saved alone, what should I do? Well, Horatio hopped on the next transatlantic ship, and because the captain knew of his story, uh, at that very point on the ocean, on the Atlantic, where his wife and daughter's ship went down, he penned the words to a hymn, a beautiful song that inspired the last song that we sang together called It Is Well. 
it is well. And the way that classic hymn, the first stanza goes, says this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I mean, how can anyone say those words, pin them, put them to music, it is well with my soul? I mean, in the voyage of life, during like the good times and the peaceful seas and clear skies, yeah, yeah, it's well with my soul, but what about a fire that takes everything and losing your family in a shipwreck? How can anyone say it is well in the midst of that with my soul? That seems otherworldly, does it not? That is a revolutionary sort of faith. Well, we're nearing the end of our story, our trek through the book of Acts, as we've been going along with Paul, and this is sort of his final journey. He has been imprisoned. He has appealed to Caesar to make his case, which means by law he'll need to go from Caesarea in and around Israel across the Mediterranean and get to Rome itself. And to do that, there's a centurion by the name of Julius who's tasked to, to give him and these other prisoners safe passage. And so Julius commissions a particular ship. And, and I want to read from Acts chapter 27, this Voyage that, yes, spoiler alert, ends with a shipwreck. And it's a bit of a longish passage, and so instead of having the words on the screen, whether you're in the room or, or at home, my encouragement is maybe even just close your eyes, listen to the story, see if you can put yourself in it. And I'm actually going to be reading from the New King James Version because it's the most swashbuckling version available. And so just see if you can enter in the story. This is Paul's final journey to Rome. When we had put out to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. When we sailed slowly for many days and arrived with difficulty off Snidus, and the wind not permitting us to proceed, so we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near the city of Lycia. Now, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called the Northeaster. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with great difficulty. When they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven along. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship." 
On the third day, when we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. And on the third day, it seemed to us as if all hope was given up. Then Paul stood up in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. But now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, of whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, Take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as he has told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Now, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down by the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day. You have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to eat for your survival, since not a hair will fall from your head of any of you. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea, meanwhile loosening the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. They ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained unmovable, and the stern was broken up by the violence of the waves." The centurion commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get on land, and the rest float on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was that they all escaped safely on land. What's an amazing story, and the difference between this one and the one we read about Treasure Island is this story is true. It's real. It happened in the life of Paul as recorded in the book of Acts. And so there are some timely truths that you and I can apply to our lives. And so if there's sort of a theme for this morning, it's simply this. How do you survive a shipwreck? How do you survive a shipwreck? And so I want to give you a simple eight-part formula that we see in the text. And here it goes. Shipwrecks happen. Hold on to hope. Lighten the ship. Take heart and believe. Eat and be encouraged. Pray for day. Let go and journey on. That's it. That's how to survive a shipwreck. We're done. Let's pray. See, here's the deal. Shipwrecks make great fiction, don't they? But devastating nonfiction. And the reality is in Paul's life, he encountered shipwrecks. What we learn elsewhere is he was part of three shipwrecks. If we think that the revolutionary Jesus' first life is one of calm seas and blue skies, we are sorely mistaken. Because storms happen in life, and sometimes storm clouds collide and ships wreck. And that probably hasn't happened to any of us physically, but there may be times that you've gone through or that I've gone through where it feels like there are storms in life that threaten to overtake us. And a time or two for all of us, it might feel as if our lives are a shipwreck or a shipwreck waiting to happen. Has that ever happened to you? Does this feel like one of those particularly stormy times? 
See, for you, your shipwreck might be sort of COVID-related, a loss of job or aloneness or, or the moorings that, felt you, that you felt fixed in life or are no longer secured. Or your shipwreck may be relational. Maybe a loved one approached you and said those dreaded four words, hey, we've got to talk, and shared news that changed your life forever. Perhaps for you, the shipwreck is about difficult circumstances you've encountered or are encountering a crisis, an accident, a significant loss. Maybe for you, it's emotional or it's physical. Maybe it's directional and purposeful. Maybe it's spiritual. God, in the midst of the storms of this life, where are you? Are you in a stormy season right now? Are you experiencing what feels to you to be like a life that is shipwrecked? Well, if so, it's good to remember that shipwrecks happen. It happened to Paul. It happens to revolutionary Jesus-first people, men and women like you and me. And when it happens, the most important thing we can do is hold on to hope. That's the number one shipwreck survival thing I can give you. Hold on to hope. We read about this in verse 20 where it says, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. Now, at first reading, it looks like that's giving up hope, right? They, they're saying they felt like giving up hope. But the reality is, no matter how much they felt like giving up hope, they kept doing the next important thing to survive the storm. I don't know what that looked like for Paul and his companions on the ship. They likely battened the hatches and jimmied the jig and swabbed the deck and shivered me timbers and walked the plank and whatever those things you hear about in the stories, right? They probably did those things. For you and I, holding on to hope means doing the next right thing. And while you may feel like all hope is lost, when you put one foot in front of the other, that's how you, in the midst of the storms of life, can hold on to hope. In the early 2000s, a movie came out called The Perfect Storm. Anyone remember this? And this Perfect Storm movie is, is uh, based on a true story about a ship, the Abigail, who was lost at sea in a convergence of these three storm fronts of hurricane nature, and the ship went down. And in my early 20s, I had an experience where I felt like my life was going down like that. I called it the perfect storm. It was one part vocational. I had started my first job out of college. I was working for a church, building a college ministry. Things were going really, really well. And then over the course of six months, things just tanked. And my confidence was, was in the pits, and, and I felt purposeless and lost. That was the first storm front that converged. The second was in my relational world, in my community, my closest friendships. We lived together and worked together and did all sorts of things together, but then relational conflict happened, and at the center of that was an, a relationship with a lady that I was interested in that dissolved, leaving me with a broken heart. That was the second storm front in this perfect storm. And, and the third was I didn't know where God was in the midst of that. You see, I had sort of this narrative that if you're following Jesus, life works out really well. And in this moment, it was not. I wondered where God was. It felt like at the time I needed it most, I started asking questions I'd never asked. And so for me, in that moment, the storm cloud rolled. 
It felt like the perfect storm, and I felt like I was losing my faith in the moment. I felt like I was losing hope, but I put one foot in front of the other. And though it felt like hope was lost, just getting up each day, just taking a step forward was a way of holding on to hope. And so I wrote a poem during that time that I circled back and found kind of with this ship metaphor and what was happening. And though it felt like hope was lost, there was encouragement there. And I want to read the first stanza for us here. It was called The Storm. The storm is raging down in my soul. From north to south to east to west, the tempest rolls. My once proud ship with mast held high on crystal seas under peaceful skies. Now the winds of change come with waves of doubt. In this hurricane, I'm tossed about. My hull is breached and my deck is swamped. As the shipmates say, this ship is sunk. But even if, even if the hurricane does blow, and even if, even if the storm does take control, even if, even if I'm drowning in the blue, even if this ship is sunk, God, I'm holding onto you. So shipwrecks happen, and when they do, all we can do is hold on to hope. But there's some practical things that we can see in the text and that I learned from experience that I want to run through real quick. These next three or four are very practical. First is to lighten the ship. If you're in a storm and you're in a boat and it's about to capsize because you're taking on water, you start to throw cargo, anything overboard that you don't need. Same is true in our lives. When we go through storms and we're taking on water and we're trying not to sink, we lighten the ship. It's really practical. For you or I, that may mean cutting commitments that aren't necessary, clearing our schedule to attune to our inner world. It may include prioritizing relationships, having a season where we're not so broad with everyone, but there are a few trusted people that we can engage in life with. Maybe it's eliminate the things you don't have to do and only doing the things you must do. When you're encountering the storms, you've got to lighten the ship. Second thing we see in the text is you take heart and believe. This is number four. This is how we survive a shipwreck. It says, now I urge you, Paul says, to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only to ship. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe that it will be just as it was told me. See, the thing that makes a perfect storm and a shipwreck happen is when these individual storm clouds converge and it threatens to overwhelm us. And the things that are happening out there threaten to capsize us in here. And it's at that moment we must take courage through faith. That's what Paul says. Take heart and believe. See, circumstances can affect our internal world, our emotional world. And so it's really important to do things like keep or establish positive routines. Keep waking up. Keep taking a shower. Keep showing up on time to work. Keep doing your studies do the routines that are so important. Practice the faith, scripture, and prayer, regularly attending church or community with people. Don't give up those things. Take heart and believe. Choose to be positive. Choose optimism. And just keep doing the next right thing. When you're encountering times of shipwreck, know that shipwrecks happen. Hold on to hope. Lighten the ship. Take heart and believe and also eat and be encouraged. 
Did you notice that in the story? Like these sailors, they didn't eat for 14 days. They're working. They're trying to keep above uh, water. And Paul says, no, it's time to eat. It's time to eat. Paul implored them to take food in verse 36. And actually, the way the text reads is Paul takes the bread and breaks it like the Last Supper. And he gives faith in God, prayers to God, and offers it to all the crew. And Paul began to eat, and they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. You see, when storm clouds go deep within, it can be very hard to be encouraged, can't it? And it can be really easy to harbor negative thoughts and to deny ourselves the very things that we love and give us life, can't it? I know when I'm starting to be overcome by the metaphorical storms in life because certain things start happening to me physically and whatnot. I start to feel weight in my back. Just feel a sense of that. I stop humming to myself or singing or whistling. Like, I stop doing that. I stop doing the activities that I really enjoy because I simply don't have time or so I think. I, I withdraw from relationships. But I know I'm really in a bad place where I stop enjoying food. I stop enjoying food and friendships that happen with that. I, I lose taste for it. It's just something I must do to get to the next thing. And during that time that I mentioned that perfect storm season in my life, I ceased doing all the things that had given me life. And I remember going and meeting with a spiritual mentor who himself had a, a very vibrant prayer life and also uh, would frequently fast out of kind of prayer and worship for God. And I, I decided, hey, I'm going to fast during this retreat. And so I was telling that to this mentor, and he's like, what are you doing now is not a time to fast. Now is a time to feast. Why? When you're feeling that way anyway, and you withdraw from the very things that give you life, it's going to continue your downward spiral. But if you can go back to the things you enjoy, a good meal, doing an activity you love, re-engaging in the relationships that matter most, all of those things that bring you life, that's so important during those times. Don't fast, but feast. Then Paul says, pray for day. We see this in the text. By this time, the 14th night had come, and fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. I want to stop. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. Because when the perfect storm rages and it lasts far longer than you believe you can endure, and you've done all you know to do, and hope just seems lost, there are only two things that remain. Two things. You pray and surrender. You pray and surrender. Now, Paul has been praying for 14 days, right? He's been praying and praying. That's what you do when storms happen. Every day he'd been praying, but there was something different about this night. This was the 14th night. Paul knew that the ship was about to give way. Paul knew that if God didn't intervene, they were sunk. Paul knew that the ship was going to wreck, and it was going to happen soon. And if it happened at night, they were in trouble. They were in trouble. So he prayed for day. He prayed for day, and thankfully, at just the right time, day dawns. And this may be the most important thing to hear in surviving a shipwreck Everything up till now is really important in the storm. But in that moment when the ship is going to wreck, the most important thing you can do to survive the shipwreck 
is let go. Let go. Verse 40. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. Friends, they let go. They put it in the hands of God. He enabled them to land on a sandbar, and sure enough, the ship was wrecked, but everyone made it out unscathed. I wish I would have learned that earlier during my perfect storm moment, and if you're there, I hope you can take this as well. To survive a shipwreck, you've got to let go. You've got to surrender to circumstances outside of your control. You've got to let go. You've got to surrender holding on to the things that have gotten you there, good things even, your best laid plans or what people think of you or the illusion of control. You've got to let it go because the reality is no matter the storm, you have made decisions, you have charted your course, you have captained your own ship, you have contributed to the wreck. And when you get to the point where you finally know what you're doing isn't working, the best thing to do is let go. So if you don't, if you're holding too tightly, you're going to go down with the ship. But if you can let go, if you can release your grip, that enables you to reach up to God. And we have a heavenly Father who is constantly reaching down to lift you up. This is the way our text concludes for the day. And so it was that they all escaped safely to land because they were willing to let go and let God do his work. And then it ends like with this climatic uh, shipwreck in chapter 28. They just leave it behind. They journey on. This is step eight. Now, when they'd escaped, they then found out the island was called Malta. They journeyed on. Acts 27 is significant. It's like 44 verses. It's long. It's a shipwreck. It's painful. It was death-defying, all of those things. And by the next chapter, Paul's left the wreck behind, and he's continuing on his journey. That's so important. Friends, shipwrecks happen. When they do, you need to hold on to hope. You can lighten the ship. You can eat and be encouraged. You can take heart and believe. You pray for day. And then you got to let go. And once you've done so, you've got to move on. You've got to journey on. See, in that perfect storm season I mentioned, and we'll close with this, it was about nine to 12 months of feeling like my life was a shipwreck, and I held on for far too long. But eventually, I was able to let go. And it's not always this way, but parting of that letting go in that time meant letting go of a position and letting go of some relationships and letting go of my hopes and dreams for the future. And it was only when I let them go that God was able to redirect my life. And if you fast forward two years later, I was in a new city working a new job with a new bride. I'm not saying everything works out always like that, but what I am saying, I couldn't move on unless I let the shipwreck happen, let God captain the ship and journey on. And so the, the poem that I mentioned ended with this stanza, with this phrase. I want to read that for us because I want you to note so much of our life is us captaining our own ship. 
And there was a moment, and I tried to write it in here, where I realized I couldn't captain my own ship, but there was a captain. Our Father in heaven, our Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit, who's a much better job of captaining the ship, and, and he's there to reach out when I need it most. So the way the poem concludes goes like this. The storm still rages deep down in my soul. From north to south to east to west, I've been swept overboard. My once proud ship, now sinking fast, has fallen apart. I don't think she'll last. But beyond the winds of fear and the waves of doubt, from deep within, I can hear a shout. With the voice of thunder, grace and might, my captain yells, just hold on tight. Because even though, even though the hurricane does blow, and even though, even though it threatens to take control, and even though, even though you're drowning in the sea, even though the storm does rage, keep holding on to me. Keep holding on, just hang on tight. Hold on to me, it'll be all right. Keep holding on, just hang on tight. The day will come at the end of the night. Keep holding on, yeah, hang on tight. The storm will break. I can see the light. Keep holding on. We will make it through because I'm holding on to you. Friends, if you're in a time of stormy seas or a shipwreck, you have a captain who's ready and waiting, who's holding on to you. Hold on. Hold on tight. The storm will break at the end of the night. Keep holding on because he's holding on to you. Let's pray. Jesus, we would never desire this season of COVID. We would never desire the painful times in our lives. We'd never desire those stormy seas. But thank you that you are with us in the midst of every season and that you're with us in the midst of this season. For anyone where these words hit a little too close to home, will you be the encouragement? Will you let them hold on? Will you show up? Will you reach out and will you give them the courage and faith and hope to reach out to you? And will you hold on and not let go? Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Seth. Hey, for, for you, I wonder if you can name that shipwreck. If there's something that's happening right now or if you could pull back into your recent history and, and see that was a shipwreck for me. And I, I want to put these eight steps up on the screen again just for you to grab one of these. Don't attempt to do all of these at the same time. Uh, but I wonder, what's your shipwreck? And then of these eight steps, what's one step you could take today? And the first one might seem like, how do I do that? <laughs> well, I think you just have to notice that there's a shipwreck happening and I need to name it. Or maybe it's a later step where you need to invite somebody in to pray for you. And we would love to do that here. We'll have a few people here in the room to pray for you. Uh, if you're gathering in an online fashion, you can join in a, to one of our connect rooms right after the service. There's even someone out by the light box, uh, one of our prayer team that would love to pray for you. Uh, so maybe it's that step. And, uh, and for Seth, I think the poem that he wrote was a part of journeying on. Like saying, okay, that happened and I can now name it and I can move forward. And so some of us need to like pick up the pencil and, and write a poem. <laughs> Do something to mark the moment, the shipwreck that happened. And if you'll notice, Seth was describing a shipwreck, but he was giving us hope because of something he'd been through. Paul giving us hope because of something he'd been through. 
And so you may not be in a shipwreck right now, but there are some of those around you. And how could you offer your story to that person? I think that's really powerful and really a way to end our time together here on, on that upswing to say, how do you use your story to help others in our community? So I'm gonna pray for us and just send us out one last time, but thanks for being here. Would, would you uh, take a step in some way today? Maybe it's one of the eight things. Maybe it's praying with someone here or in our online rooms, uh, but we just love doing this together and being a part of your story as well.